everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moana Nui podcast. I am Moana, your host, and I am also the writer for The Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea and the editor for the Wildcard Chronicles comic book series. Tonight, I am joined by my friend, Danny. Hello, everyone. I am Dana with Danique Events, and uh, I'm a photographer and event planner. And we look forward to you learning more about our upcoming guests that will be coming on shortly. Awesome. Yeah, so we are really excited to have Alan Zhu with us tonight. Alan is a triple threat within the entertainment industry, and he is carving his own lane as a versatile artist that raps and sings to bring to bridge the gap between hip-hop and R&B, but also more diversity within the music and acting industry. With his music, Alan intricately weaves pop, R&B, and hip-hop aggression into a tapestry that defines stereotypes and labels. Alan Z is planning to contribute his platform to bring attention to social issues, bring diversity to the entertainment industry, and support other upcoming Asian and Pacific Islander artists. So shout out to Alan for the AAPI love, and we are so excited to have him on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome, and thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, We know, you know, time is precious, and we really appreciate you being on with us tonight. Yeah, no problem. So Alan, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up and how did you find yourself in music? Yeah. Um, so I'm a rapper, singer, actor based in Atlanta, Georgia. I kind of grew up like everywhere, like around the world. Um, I was born in China. I moved to England when I was four, Singapore when I was five, and I moved to the States when I was six. Um, so I would say like my stomping grounds as a kid is like between uh, Maryland and Seattle. And then I, I would say like my musical stomping grounds would, would be Atlanta because I, I think that's where I kind of found myself as an artist uh, in my late teens when I moved there. So being kind of like nomadic, it, it, it taught me a lot about people, just being like in different neighborhoods and like, I guess, seeing the differences and um, just how people interact, how they think that that definitely helped broaden my horizons a lot. And it definitely helps my music too to be able to relate to more people. Well, Alan, um, in your song, Discriminate, you mentioned... Um, that part of your childhood that you spent in Tacoma Park, shout out to Maryland, and how you were one of the only Asian kids in the neighborhood. And you also talked about how you were bullied and and all with being one of the few Asians in a majority white school in Washington State. Right. How did that change you as you grew up and how did you use it in your music and career to evolve you basically like a phoenix? Well, I didn't really understand what I was facing as a kid. It was just because it was so rampant, right? But I think it, it definitely became a part of my identity as far as finding out why so much discrimination happens to, to the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. You know what I mean? Because we're so like misunderstood and we're, and, and normal, like racism towards us is so normalized. Like people don't even care. You just, it, it, it happens and they're just like, because it doesn't fit into the black and white narrative, most people don't even consider it as like an issue. So, being like the only Asian kid in like a black and Latino neighborhood, obviously, I, even though we're all minorities, I don't look like them. So it's like I'm just, you know, it's just like fair play. And and of course, like at that time, being Chinese just meant the, the slanty eyes and just the ching chong. And it was like, you know, the Bruce Lee and whatever. I didn't, I was like, I don't even know who Bruce Lee was. But it's like now I want to look him up. And <laughs> like it made me very like, um, I don't know, very angry as a kid. And so even when I moved to um, to Washington State and it was now it's a majority like white space, like. It was the same thing because it was like because I found hip hop in Maryland and I took that with me because that was like the one thing that like I liked about Maryland was, you know, being around these black kids like this is what they introduced to me. 
now it's a problem because I'm the Asian kid that likes hip hop, and they're just like, and then I hang out with the black kids, and they're just like, who do you think you are? Yeah. You know, it's like you don't you don't belong, and I'm like, okay, great, another place I don't belong. So, and then it's like I didn't really fit in with Asian kids, so I'm just like, all right, all right. So I just I'm just not welcome anywhere. But so I definitely found a lot of solace in my music. You know, I was very introverted, wrote a lot, and finally when I went to college, that's where I kind of like found a base as far as like you know people that supported me, and I just kept building from there. Oh, that I find that really relatable because um, I actually live in Maryland. I'm, I'm originally from Hawaii, and um, it was very similar for me too. You know, like they they were like, "Oh, that's the Asian chick," and I'm I'm like, "Yeah, I'm Asian, but I'm also Native Hawaiian. I have all these other things." But you, just like you said, like you don't fit in either group here. It's like black, mm-hmm. white, and I mean, you see Hispanics and stuff, but the, the main thread is really you know the black and white relations. So right. I found a very very similar challenges, and still now, you know, still still now, but it, you know. I'm I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> right, right. So kind of along that line, in no handouts, you talked about um, you know, not really fitting anywhere and how you had to become a standout. Tell us a little bit about that. What does being a standout mean to you and how have you uniquely positioned yourself as an artist and a musician? Uh I would say like it's much easier to conform and be like everyone else. And I think when you when you speak your truth and it doesn't resonate with like the uh, you know, the people around you, it kind of can ostracize you. And I think that's a very scary thing for a lot of people, which is why a lot of people, you know, tend to just go with the the flow, right? And just not really like, you know, like want to be themselves if it's a place that's very homogenous. That's something I experienced. But I think like, even as an artist, it's like, you know, people have said, hey, you know, I don't, I don't think you should rap, you should sing. Or they'd be like, well, I don't think you should sing, you should rap. I don't think you should do this, you do that, do that. Because it's like, if I do more than just the, the norm, it's considered abnormal, you know, and it's harder for someone to, to digest. For, and for me, it's like, I don't, I don't think I need to limit myself for your limitations. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. I, I want to just be who I am. And even with me acting, I'm sure there's people in the industry that are like, oh, you know, I think you should just do music. I think you should leave me alone. <laughs> like, I, I think you should keep your opinions to yourself. With your fan base being majority women, how have you continued to please your female fans musically, but also keep and attract male fans? You know, it's weird because I, I feel like I never seek out male fans. So when I do have male fans, it's pretty cool because it's like I know my target demographic is women because I just I feel like I know how to I have a very like pop sensible side to me where I know how to make like music that's going to resonate with like just uh, in a commercially accepting way. Even if I'm just going hard with bars or whatever, I always make sure the hook is catchy and I have like a pre-chorus that's going to be like, you know, resonate. And I think like um, it's kind of like when you when you have like a, you know, when you're, when you're so like yourself people can see that. And I don't think it, it's like, becomes like a gender or marketing thing. I think people are attracted to people and not in a, not in a sexual way, but just like, you know, not just like people are attracted to people that like can be themselves so authentically. So I think that's something I just strive for. Like, it's not so much like, oh, I'm really want to pander to this crowd. It's more so like, I just want to be myself, be as, you know, as me as possible. And then that's going to get the people I want to, uh, you know, listen to myself. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like that message needs to be, you know, um, Reiterated, we just we just had a, another talk with a, a another artist, and they very much um, emphasized the same the same theme. Um, you know, being true to yourself and not being afraid to show that out to the world. So um, I'm I'm glad that you're you know bringing that up also. So with the pandemic, a lot of artists have had to like basically adapt or die with their career and their crafts. How have you adjusted yourself um, both within your music and acting career? to stay connected to your fans and potential new ones. 
it, it definitely put a stop to like uh like film production stuff you know like i had to drop out of a couple roles so that kind of was like put to like a, a, a hiatus but it definitely made me strengthen like uh my virtual internet like you know game you know in terms of like putting out content like recording a lot of music writing a lot of music and and being able to have like a v much more consistent output like i i think pre-pandemic everything i was trying to do was just like yo i'm just trying to get on i'm trying to get on but now it's like i have to think to myself it's like what impact can i make with this content with this video what can i you know what what, what can this do and it's, it's much more like intentional i never thought of myself as someone who had a platform or whatever because i just my mindset was more so just capitalistic but when i started to actually like do stuff for the community or just in general for people that uh, don't have a voice people are like oh thank you for using your platform and i'm like I don't, I don't, I'm just like, okay. And then when you start seeing that more, I'm like, okay, I see it. It's like, okay, people actually see that I have something uh, like, it's like, you know, I can, I can address issues and people will listen. So I'm like, all right, I get it. It's like, it's, it's, it comes with influence. It definitely changed the, my mindset. It's like, yo, there's a lot of things that is, I'm very passionate about, which is a lot of times it's just like Asian American rights and like, you know, our, our voices being silenced. And that's something I just, I, I refuse to like compromise for anyone. You know what I mean? And like, it definitely helped people see like what i'm passionate about and and i think it made people want to support me more or some people i i think if they're turned off by it, it's like those were the people i wanted in my audience anyway you know and it's great that you actually mentioned that because that goes right into my next question for you that a lot of your think pieces that you um have released uh you bring attention to those issues in the world like racism supporting black and asian communities the model model minority myth COVID and more, um, how were you able to break the corporate music mode to be <laughs> able to have your own voice in your music? Honestly, it's like being so frustrated with just like that system of the traditional music industry. Like, it's like, yeah, I can always make, I can always tap into the mode of, hey, let's write a song that's going to be catchy. But it's like, I feel like in this era, it's like there, there's, there's stuff that can resonate with people that wouldn't be able to resonate before. Like, like before, like um, maybe like an, a decade ago, if you did conscious stuff, you were considered corny. Like people didn't want to listen to you. You just you thought you were political. Like you're like, oh whatever. I don't want to listen to that preachy stuff. But I think we're at a point now where knowledge is is not only power, but it's also a form of currency. Like you see a lot of times, like people want to know more. They want to you know find out the truth or value in you know in things. So for me, I've always been someone who liked learning and and sharing what I learned. So it's it it was kind of natural. It wasn't like I'm forcing this new content. I've always been like that. I just didn't know it would be something digestible. So when I started doing stuff where like I could sprinkle in um, history and knowledge into like bars and, and, you know, like you said, think pieces and people were eating it up. I'm like, you know, why, why not do more if I have it in my heart, you know? And I, I try never, I try never to like do something like just for like the attention or the clout. If, if it's like a, like a current event thing, I, you know, it's like, so I, I, so there's certain times I just, I stay quiet because I don't, it's not in my heart. I, I, I never want to be that guy to like just always be jumping on current events. Oh, this is going to give me some views. I don't, I don't care. Right. I do it just because I want to, because I feel like it's important. That's cool. Do you, what's your, um, of your recent uh, pieces, do you have a favorite right now um, that you're like really proud of? Uh, there's a couple, but I would say that the most, like if, if we had, to, I had to only pick one, I would say like the Asian American history piece is like oh. a really good one for myself because I'm pretty proud of myself to be able to like condense so much uh yeah. years of history into like like 16 what is like 20 or 24 bars you know and like condensed into 60 seconds to make sure it fit instagram so like i had more to say i was just all right i'm just gonna, gonna like cliff notes this and just like make sure this is this line's important so i don't know I, that's something i was 
not only proud of, but was surprised by it in terms of the reaction. It was like just so many people across like social media was like really like hungry for it. And there's like, mm-hmm. and it was just like people of all ages. And I was like, this is really powerful, you know, because people I mean, our history is not taught. So I think yeah. I, I was always like really passionate about that. It's like, you know, people are ignorant to us because they don't understand us. They don't know where we came from. You know, it was like, yeah, I mean, that was one of my favorite tracks. I mean, I have a lot of favorite tracks of yours. But when I was listening to that one, I was taking notes. I was like, OK. What? I didn't know about that. Okay. Okay. And then I'm, you know, like, I'm going to go research all these things now. You know, I was telling someone earlier today, like a Patrick Strange, um, I feel like such so ignorant right now because I didn't know about the exclusion act until I started watching warriors. Oh Warrior. yeah. Great show. Yeah. Yeah. You guys need to check, check it out. Check out American yeah. history. I mean, Asian American history for sure. That track is amazing. And check out warriors. If you want to know a little bit more about, you know, what the track is talking about. So as you can see, I'm geeking out a little bit. I tend to do that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of fellow nerds who watch uh, the the podcast or listen to the podcast. And we love to hear anime and gaming references in your songs like uh, Uramushi Yusuke in uh, Don't Sleep On Me, uh, Super Saiyan um, in No Handouts. I I, I definitely love when you, you know, you take it up there. And and Shang Tsung in Blame It On Me, the Mortal Kombat fan in me was (laughs) was just so happy. So are you a bit of a nerd yourself and how how much have anime and gaming culture influenced your music? Okay, this is kind of a, a weird thing, right? I actually did not really watch anime until like two years ago. Like it's because, I mean, obviously I, I watched like Pokemon and like Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh! when I was a kid. But, but it was like because of how people shamed like anime, like when I was in middle school and high school, I just I avoided it at all costs because like, oh, I don't want to be that kid. But and it made me super angry when I grew up and it fucking became popular. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like how <laughs> this is something I wanted to watch for 10 years and you're going to yeah. tell me now it's cool. So I was like, <laughs> fuck. And then so my friends, like all my friends like were like, yo, you have to watch anime. You have to watch anime. And none of them are Asian, by the way. They're all black and they're just like, bro, watch anime. And I was like, yeah. fine. So I watched Hunter Hunter and I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> and then uh, I was like, all right, what, what next? And then, and then it was like My Hero Academia, Attack on Titan. Some other ones, Trigun, Gungrave, a, just like a, a lot of different variant, variant like from uh, I guess decades of anime. So I'm definitely fully in. I'm, I'm and I'm not ashamed of it. I think it's super cool. I'm just mad that like it took that long for it to be cool, or just for me not being brave enough to be like, fuck this, I want to watch anime. Yeah. Um, and then with gaming, I've always been into gaming. I just uh, I was a little bit insecure because I was always really bad at gaming. But then I got a PS4 maybe like also two years ago. And then I just got good at fighting games. So I, I kind of gained my confidence back. And then I just started playing Sleeping Dogs, which is kind of like, uh, it's similar to GTA in like the open world type of action, but it's like uh, set in Hong Kong. It's like all Chinese characters. Super, yeah. And it, it's like a, it's like an all-star cast. So the, Will Young Lee plays the main guy. Uh, Lucy Liu is in it. Emma Stone plays a part. Robin Cho, uh, yeah, a, a lot of people. But anyway, so that also gave me the courage to say, hey, I want to try GTA and all these open world actions. Because I always thought my aim sucked at these like type of sh- like when there's like shootouts and shit like that so i was like oh but i i, I beat the game so now I'm, I'm gaining confidence to do more type of games so yeah I, I mean long story short like i think i think nerd culture is fucking dope and i'm really happy that like we're at a point where people aren't being shamed for it speaking of like shaming and and the craziness of the world back into you know about the world of entertainment i mean we know typically the world of entertainment is that doggy dog type of world. And it's often hard to find people you can trust and will help you grow authentically as an artist, whether they're fellow artists, friends, 
or family or just people in the industry, it becomes hard to tell who's really looking out for your best interests. How have you found your personal, or I like to call it your board or your personal man-made family, you know that are really there for you and will help you elevate you to the next level? I think it's kind of like a find your tribe type of uh, thing, right? Because I think through a lot of trial and error of like, you know, cutting off a lot of people that was before me, I, I learned what I wanted in terms of like who I want on my team and who I want to be, be a part of my life. I think it's really just experience and, and learning the lessons of who I don't want, you know? So I, I'm pretty quick at seeing like red flags. Yeah, I think, I think having the wrong people can be dangerous sometimes, especially as you grow. Like you don't want to keep those kind of people, you know, in your circle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because it's so important to have that support system, um, especially when you're stepping out on your own. Right. So let's touch back a little bit on the Asian American history part. Um, A lot of people are not aware, as we as we mentioned briefly, um, of Asian American, like Asian in Asians in American history, like not just like back to Asia, you know, um, Mm -hmm. but the contributions to this country. um, What events or you know efforts um are you most proud of uh, throughout history it could be current or or in history so we're talking about like just in general with asian american history right yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah well um this is gonna be selfish just because i'm you know i'm part of the entertainment industry but i'm really proud that the first sex symbol in american history was asian that's like so so dope and if you think about like the context of like asian men being emasculated for so long in this country and the fact that there was an asian dude that had like all these white women like oh my god this you know like throwing themselves over him. It's like, how powerful was that statement? This was like, I don't remember. It was like the silent movie era. You know, that's like, it just, it says a lot. And then it's like, to, to know that they got threatened so much that they would throw in all these like caricatures of what Asian men are supposed to be like. It's like, you know, we're, we were a threat. I mean, we have a lot of trauma in our history too. So that's like, I mean, those aren't favorite moments. I just know about them, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that that's a proud moment. And I think like uh, uh, the guy who, who was a Chinese dude, he, um, he like, was the one who like made birthright citizenship um like possible Juan Juan Carlar uh fuck I'm butchering his name but <laughs> I should have just said birthright citizenship but he um you know he contributed a lot because without him it's like you know we wouldn't have that like well you're if you're born into this country as an immigrant then you can Im- become a naturalized citizenship citizen you know what I mean so I think that's like super important not only to Asian people but just people in general you know that mm-hmm. aren't Native American you know native to America I know you're trying to really evolve the entertainment industry with your actions and things you, um, that you do. Uh, what kind of legacy do you intend to leave with your music? I just want a few, I mean, honestly, like selfishly, I just want a few like platinum records. <laughs> I don't know, like I, I want to be able to have, you know, the accolades in terms of chart success, but I also want to be able to have music where like years from now where I'm like a grandpa, people will be still talking about it. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of legacy I definitely want. I just don't want to be that dude where it's like, oh man, he could have made so much money, but he missed a shot. I, I just, that's what I'm hoping not to be, you know? So I was like, I want to be able to have the commercial success so that I can show these people like, yo, he was both like really influential and he made a lot of money. So now I want to yeah. be him too. As opposed to being like, oh man, he could have had it. Nah, like that's what I'm fighting to not be like, you know? Yeah. As a writer and a, and a creator, who has had the most influence on your music? Uh, I think Dana can probably answered this one, but uh, Eminem for sure. He's like, he's literally the reason I started rapping. And it's a really weird thing because I've talked to other Asian rappers about this, but it's like, 
I don't know what it is about Eminem, but like a lot of Asian rappers like will be like, yeah, Eminem was like the reason I got into hip hop. And, yeah. and truthfully, that's how I got into it. I saw Eminem on MTV when I was a kid and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Because it was like, he looked like he could be a part of NSYNC, but he's not. He's talking shit about them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was like a reject of a boy band. I'm just like, but he's like rapping. I'm like, it's so cool. You know, it's like so rebellious. And then um, from there, I started looking into like, people before him and of his era like you know Nas, Jay-Z, like Pac, Biggie like even and then the 80s like I was like super hooked on like Rakim and like Kooji Rap, Big Daddy Kane like I I've always been like a language nerd so just like mm -hmm. rappers that were really like dope with like wordplay punchlines and like just mostly yeah. syllabic patterns all the nerdy stuff I'm like super into that so like even if you listen to like my lyrics I'm very particular with how I write every every rhyme is like a pattern I have to make sure that like the phrases fit perfectly like the syllable counts i'm like so methodical with that and then with every rhyme scheme it has to be a perfect match like it like it has to be like four or five combinations like a fucking mortal kombat combo like I, i'm so <laughs> weird about it like i i can't like i can never rhyme like cat with hat like it would have to be something before that to make it make sense where it's like now it's a pattern now you can see how i'm because like the way I rhyme is like a like a the cadence rides because that's how like Rakim would do it and how like Eminem would do it. It's like every like when you do when you have certain syllable counts, it makes the rhythm like go with it, you know. So it's just really technical stuff. I'm super into that stuff, you know. But then on the musical side, like you know, I listen to like Michael Jackson and like Trey Songs, who's like my favorite singer, and Chris Brown, people like them. And so I think that's where I was able to kind of uh, build like a female audience because that's like the music that I, I learned from. Like these guys were like just lady killers i was like all right so i gotta make sure i have that in my element and I, I was able to kind of combine that i think i'm doing a better job now than ever in terms of being able to not only do hip-hop but, but like r&b and pop and, and fuse it into my own style as opposed to like trying to do like both but like in totally different ways you know what i mean yeah I, like i just i really enjoy your style like when you're breaking it down i'm just like yes he does this so well and i think that's you know on top of it just being like the beats and everything. It's it's the lyrics. It's like it's like for the same reasons that I like Pac. It's like he was such a like rebellious but an intellect. You know, like, it's not like he's just spitting bullshit, right? Like he's he's speaking truth and he's dropping facts and he's like in your face with it, you know. And that's one of the things that I, I really love about about your music. Thank you. Yeah, and about Pac, it's like even when he's talking about like killing you, his lyrics are like poetic. Like he had a line where he said, "Now my adverse." adversaries have been reduced to tears like it's just like that line alone always stuck with me because it's like basically saying my enemies are now just a tear tattoo to represent the fact that i murdered you i'm like it's so fucking poetic you know what i mean yeah so i i love language man so i think that's a big reason why i've, I've always been in love with hip-hop for so long for myself i end up connecting and finding you because of your acting side and i it ended up being that I saw while I was on Facebook, one of his skits and I was just like, oh, this is really funny. But, and then as I was like, okay, I'm gonna follow him. Cause I honestly thought you were more on the acting comedy side. And then next thing, it was like a month or two later, it was like, Hey, you know, check out my, you know, new song, don't sleep. And I'm like, what he sings. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just like, okay, but just seeing your acting side, you have the element that connects everybody on social media, but you also have your acting that you have in TV shows and things like that. What has been your, you know, your favorite acting moment or favorite show that you got to play on? I think like uh, 
my favorite show for now would probably be like when I was on Star, which was a show on Fox. And um, it was more so the experience than, than the actual screen time because like my cut was, my part was like cut <laughs> like to, to a very minimal amount. <laughs> but I was still on it. So I was like, All right, I got my check. It's whatever. But I think <laughs> it was one of those moments like that one and also on being on Being Mary Jane where I kind of fell in love with acting, be, like the actual Hollywood side of it because it was like I just saw how much it took for like a, a TV show to be produced. You know what I mean? Like it's like you have the cinematographer, the director, the lighting, the makeup artist. So it's like all these people. And then you have like the, the you know, the um, people on standby. You have, you have all this working together for one project. And I was like, man, I feel so alone doing music because it's just really just me. You know, and it's like if there's people on my team, I'm the one taking the brunt of it. If I do something fucked up, that's me. If the if a, if a movie fucks up, that's on the director. I can I'm as an actor, I'm good. <laughs> I'll just distance myself and do the next project. Not to say I want to not have accountability, but it's just that idea of man teamwork, you know. And and I'm like, this is so different from music. I love being able to be part of a team and not only be the one guy that responsible for everyone else's check, you know. And I'm like, yeah, wow. And then so um, in order for me to kind of like ease my fans into like. The acting side, I was like, all right, let me do something like Key and Peele would do because I'm really big on them and Chappelle show. Just like just goofy skits that kind of have a, a message, you know, and uh, it kind of worked. You know, like the first skit I did, it went like semi-viral and then like an influencer shared it on his page and it hit like 100,000 views in like, like I think like a couple hours. And I was like, oh, cool. And so more people found me from there that didn't know I did music. And I just kept pumping out more and more skits pre-COVID. And I just loved it. I just loved um, being able to direct and edit my own skits and telling like my other like actor homies like how to you know what to do what to say and then asking them like well, how you know how should I say this you know and then it was just it was just fun and I think it's a it's a kind of like juvenile type of fun that I don't get in music because I always tell people music is like the thorn on my side I can never get rid of it even as much as I want to but it's like a, I have a very toxic relationship with music it's that's like the bitter ex that I can never let go because it's like <laughs> it's it's the reason why I have depression but it's also how I get out of depression when I write. So it's cathartic, but it's also triggering. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all my problems come from music. So, but with acting, it's like, it's, it's just, I'm sure I'm going to experience hardships in acting too, because I've, I've received terribly racist scripts as well. But, but I think the idea of, of being a part of a team and, and meeting the cast and becoming like a family, that's something I just love because in music, like you said, like Dana said earlier, it's so doggy dog. I take that back and acting is doggy dog too, but you guys get what I'm saying. It's just a different type of vibe. <laughs> it's just the entertainment industry as a whole. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just everyone's out for each other. Yeah, yeah. So just forget everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a question from someone who's watching um, from Angela Oddly. When you write lyrics for a song, do you intend for people to interpret them a certain way? Or do you think it's interesting when people apply the words to their own experiences? Uh, I would say both. If it's a personal song for me, I would like for people to, to get the message and kind of vibe with what I'm what I'm uh, talking about. But if it's something more like universal, I like to them for them to like interpret it the way they want to. You know what I mean? So there's like different types of modes I get into. There's like times where I'm really trying to tell a story of my life. But then there's also just songs where I'm just trying to go off of a concept or a theme. And those are the ones where I'm like, you can fill in the blanks yourself. I'm just giving you the template. Mm. And um, I think that's part of the, I guess, like the... Uh, the process of, of, of writing and figuring out what uh what direction I want to go. I also kind of like fan interpretation too. There's like fan theories, and I'm just like I didn't I didn't write that, but that's kind of cool. That uh, <laughs> I'm like, yep, that's that's what I meant. So I, I enjoy those as well, you know. Um, so one of the uh one of your tracks, your you um 
Dojo is one that you did with Jason Chu. How did you and Jason um, meet? Oh man, we were, we've been friends for so long. We've been friends since like MySpace. I was like a freshman in high school or something. And he was like in college and just, just I was just trying to add it, add as many Asian rapper friends as I could on MySpace, you know? So we never did anything back then. Cause obviously like I was, you know, young and stuff, but eventually I think he hit me up. I was like, Hey man, I've been noticing that, you, you know, you've been hitting like a pretty good stride with your music. You know, I, I see what you're doing. He's like, hey, we should do something, like just a song together because, you know, it's been so long that, you know, we've known each other for so long. And this was like, I think 2016 or 2017. And so we did a song together called Yellow Diddy. And like that, yes. like blew up on Facebook. That has like almost a million views. Or I think, I think yeah, like 900,000 views or something like that. And so we're like, oh, cool. We have like a cool little uh, formula going on. And then so we uh, did another song to follow it up for the next year, um, which was Dojo. And then that did really well on uh, Spotify. Like that mm-hmm. hit like 300,000 streams. And I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and the reason I say what the fuck is because it's it goes against everything I was taught by these industry professionals. You know, because like um, if you talk to like uh, an exec, they'll be, they'll pretty much be like, uh, hey, don't don't make music um, that's too lyrical. Don't dumb down your lyrics. People don't understand what you're saying when you do this lyrical miracle stuff. Don't don't put too much metaphors. Just, hey, simplify this line. I don't think they know what it means. And so. Dojo was like just straight boom bap, straight like just every you know there's barely a hook. It's just back and forth rapping, very like you know combative and aggressive. And it was just like you know I don't know it just it was everything that shouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. And then so when it was recept- received well, I think me and Jason were, were pretty happy about that. It's like one we we were able to kind of like add an Asian element to it with the with the instrumental. It was like very Wu Tang esque, and then yes, the yes. bars were just like you know just not commercial at all. So yeah. it was refreshing for me because sometimes I get sick of writing pop songs. I'm like, fuck this. Year. I don't even want to write a pop song, but I have to because I want to make sure that like I can keep an audience and shit. I'm like, I don't even fucking listen to pop, you know? Like, so I'm like, fuck. But then when I do when I do a song that's like more hip hop, it's fun for me because like this is, you know, what I grew up loving and stuff. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. But yeah, that's how, how we went up. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I shouldn't have admitted that hip hop music to people that are they're just finding out about me. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's great that you brought that up because that was also something I wanted to kind of talk about because some you've had some great collaborations. Jason is one of them. You've also worked with Chow Mein and several others. Uh, um, Rocky, you did yeah, um, yeah. and everything. And with all of them, you had different evolutions of sounds with working with them. And you really see how you had this like you meshed together. And it's really interesting seeing how that all plays out. Cause I mean, Chow Main has his sound, you have your sound, and also Jason has his sound. And then when you're working with them, and you know, I mentioned earlier to Amoana, I was like, "Hey, have you checked out their boat song?" She's like, "No," and I'm like, "Here, here's the link. Watch it." <laughs> and it's just all three of you together, and having your own flavor of mm. your your flows, everything, but at the same time being, bringing forth, you know, what's going on, which, you know, encouraging everybody to vote, especially in the API community, uh, which, you know, between the API and the black community, we tended not to really vote that much. And uh, it was like, okay, this is a time we need to vote. We need to make our voices heard. And it was just so powerful to kind of hear that. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered, okay, what made always make you say, yeah, this is a collaboration that's going to work. Or do you see certain people like, thank you Mm -hmm. very much for the (laughs) asking (laughs) kind of thing. So what, 
what makes uh, it like okay? I, I I know we can vibe. I don't know if it's you know like with you and Jason was history, but you know I know you probably have a lot of people hitting you up and saying, "Hey, I would love to you know work with you. I love you for you to do this on my song." And it's like, how do you <clears throat> filter through all that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a well. I think history is a big part because me and Rocky have been friends since like 2016. Like before we even thought talked about doing music together, like I supported him at at a showcase he was at when he came to Atlanta, you know, I made sure that him and his team had a good time in my city. So it was, it was a little different, you know, and when he said, let's do a song, it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, you're my boy. Same thing with Chameen. It's like, you know, I, I was, you know, I met him through a mutual friend of mine, Jonathan in the Bay and then, you know, came friends, which is like, oh yeah, like, before we even did a song together, we're just like, you know, what were you about? But I also think it's, it's like, it's like twofold. It's like one, if we have history and two, if uh, this works marketing wise, you know what I mean? Like, hey, this can benefit both of us. If not, then I have to charge you because I all this all comes down to the bottom line. It's like this, like you know, if if I'm working with this person and we we have you know agreed on an undisclosed price, we know that this could be good marketing wise and, and money for us. But if I don't know you on that level, or if you're like, you don't have the kind of traction I can gain without it, like without without me being on your song, like I can't benefit from that. And it's like this is the capitalistic system. I can't I can't work with everyone because when I try to do freebies, it's like it doesn't all it does is drain me. So I can't I can't give that, that much to myself. And the more I grow, I have to protect my energy and now and yeah. like my artistry, you know. And some people get mad and I'm just like, well, all right, like you can find someone else that can, you know, do it for free, but I can't, you know. Like it, yeah. Are you is your love gonna pay the bill? Like I I oh you're so dope, let's collab. Okay, pay me if you love my music so much. <laughs> No, that, that's a great point for anyone, you know, entrepreneurs in, in any type of uh, field or industry, like protecting your time, it becomes so important. I mean, I, even I have been learning that over the past couple of years, you know, before I used to give myself out freely, um, you know, and I still do. I still love my community. I still love the things that I do. I still love helping people, but um, it just has to be something that you're passionate about too, right? So finding yeah, those yeah. people who are, are like-minded, who are, you know, along the same path, who have the same drive, the same hustle, because if they have it, just like you, like they're gonna be just as successful as you, so. Right. Um, so shout out to Dana for being my hustle chick on this on this <laughs> podcast and for <laughs> for introducing me to you because, um, yeah, it's, it's just been amazing. This whole week I've been listening to your CDs in my car. I'm like, okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. um, I also wanted to bring up, um, I do know that, you know, we were talking about earlier about you really putting your voice out there and you've been doing a lot more um, panels, interviews mm -hmm. and stuff to really bring those things out yeah. uh, from being on panels with uh, Dragon Con to um, doing various uh, with various organizations like Napa and and other um nonprofits, especially during the pandemic, to bring um, attention to uh, the communities affected by COVID. How has that been for you? And, you know, is that something you want to dive in more into? Or is that just, you know, something for now in the in-between? Oh, I definitely want to dive into it more. So, like, I, I didn't realize how much of a passion I had for public speaking. But, like, I, I really like, like, public discourse, like, like um, being able to talk about certain topics and themes with like other esteemed individuals and like being able to you know like learn not only learn from them but for people to you know learn from me as well you know mm -hmm. and so once the pandemic is over i definitely want to continue that path and, and do it at like other conventions and like 
festivals, whoever would have, or colleges or whatever. You know what I mean? Because I think yes. these kind of conversations are important, especially between like marginalized like groups. It's like, dude, who else is gonna give this platform to us? We have to either build our yeah. own, or it's like let's let's coalition and mobilize and, and build amongst each other and and like lift each other up. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. I'm really passionate about that, like because even when you break down like the idea of like you know needing Asian American representation, but it's like it's so much deeper than just having like an Asian face. It's about Yo, having Asian writers, Asian like directors, and and people that like a whole team behind you that that know your vision. Because like we saw how Mulan did not do the way it should have. Like, yeah, there's a total Asian cast, but it's, guess what? It's non-Asian people directing it, and there's yeah. a fucking hawk. It's a what? You know, a witch that turns into a hawk that fucking dies from an arrow, even though she's all powerful. Like shit that doesn't make sense, but would have been <laughs> eliminated if there was an Asian writer. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's an importance in in a I think. A, community building and uh, a lot of conversations i feel that can be productive if we're, you know if it's had in a like a public forum yeah i i um dana sent me a note, uh link to like a panel that you guys did for dragon con and i you know it was one where you were with jason and a couple other folks but i learned so much from that panel as well it was the uh, api um panel that that we um, yeah yeah yes uh that I had with lee shorten and also um Havana and several others. So yeah, it was a great API panel of entertainers and people that's basically API in the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a friend, um, Patrick Strange. I'm not sure if you know him, but he's uh, he does a well. He runs Nerd Nerds of Color and oh um, yeah, yeah. Wait, I think I know who that is. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I know who that is. He's a Filipino or, or uh, Pacific yep. Islander, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you been on his um, his stream yet? No, nah, not yet. Oh, he'd probably be a good person for you to talk to because um, we here at Awesome Con is is the DC convention. Um, you know when when things are normal, but uh, <laughs> he um hosts an Asian uh, American Pacific Islander panel every year. Oh, that's perfect. So, yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, you can come back to Maryland, you know. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I think that'd be a super great opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, so I'll make sure to connect you guys too. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Kind of going off the the Mulan thread. Um. Uh, you know, and having inauthentic writers, right? Like, what are some of the agent stereotypes that you find most problematic? Oh, man, like so many. <laughs> I don't know where to start. <laughs> like, we got to narrow it down to like categories. I'm trying to think. Shit, you got to give me a lifeline. Because like, in my head, I see all these different like disparaging. Okay, so I think one is like, the idea that Asian people are white passing will always infuriate me. Because it's like, it, especially when other Asian people say it, it always bothers me because it's like, dude, as fair-skinned as you may be, you walk down that street, you're more likely to be called a chink than a mm-hmm. white guy. So I'm like, why are you, like, subjugating yourself to this? You're embarrassing yourself. You know, it's like, I don't know, that, that like, the idea of, like, you know, like, I think the thing that bothers me the most about, I, I don't even want to say stereotypes, but I, I would say, like, misconceptions, because I, I don't know if that's a stereotype, but, but is, you know, how the model minority myth has affected our people. Like, just... yeah how people have aligned themselves with like this idea of like oh you know yeah i'm a I'm, yeah, I'm proximity to whiteness i hate that term i'm like dude when i was in a predominantly white place they fucking hated me they said go back to my country they would not say that to fucking scott from scotland you know what i mean like if i'm white if i'm a white adjacent i would not be you know called a chink and all that stuff you think you're gonna call like scott from scotland a honky like it's like there's a level of like respect the give to actual white adjacent people you know what i mean like the irish and the italians they're not going to give that to asian people so i hate this narrative that's going on and like a lot of times like when i call this out a lot of asian people get mad at me 
I don't know. It's gonna take more than just me saying it. It's gotta be people waking up and be like, yeah, this is this is fucked up. It's like we're our own people. Like let's stop thinking that we we need to fit into a mode of this uh black and white narrative. You know, we are our own. Like in terms of mm-hmm. like who we are, let's stop comparing ourselves to other groups. Let's own up who we are. The passion, you just hit me right there. Because <laughs> I'd be thinking that too, you know, like kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning is like, okay, I'm this, you know, native Hawaiian girl, a Filipino, you know, I'm a mix of cultures, right? Like that's what I'm originally from Hawaii. That's what it is. Like I have a respect for all people. Like I never really thought about the, oh, they're black, they're white, they're, you know, they're this, they're that. Like these are just people, people that are in my community, people that I love, people that I, you know, have support me and made me, you know, the young woman that I am today. So like when people try to put anyone in a specific box, like that drives me nuts. Like people are multidimensional. They can be a whole lot of different things. We don't all have to be the same thing because that would make us vanilla and boring, you know, like, yeah, I really like that message. We heard that with uh, with David tonight too. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Or as I like to say, um, my grandma always said when people say, well, vanilla, it's like, well, vanilla is actually black. If you actually look at what vanilla beans look like, they're black. Right. They're not white. They're black. <laughs> so stop trying to make something, you know, everything is, they want to make it uh, very Eurocentric. Everything's yeah. Eurocentric. And it's like, this has been started back in the slave day, colonizing days that this mindset has been established and it keeps getting passed on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just pits people against each other. Like, you know, I think like, uh, like I did a video that kind of went viral. Like it was about how I, I again, I was like, Asian people, stop fucking thinking you're a white adjacent. Like, and it was about the, it was in Washington State, surprise, surprise, like when they uh, put Asian people, uh, the Asian students lumped in with white students basically because of academic success and whatever. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like shit like that. It's like, can't you see that they're doing this because they're stripping away who you are, your heritage? You know what I mean? Like, it has nothing to do with like assimilating. This is, has everything to do with erasure, you know? So, yeah. Even yo, even when I watch like TV shows, like I remember I watched One Tree Hill when I was a kid, right? And there was a Filipino dude that was like hooking up with Sophia Bush, her character. Oh they yeah, him, they made him Hispanic, and I'm like, what the fuck? The one time an Asian dude is like the love interest, they just say like he's from fucking Mexico. Are you fucking kidding me? So it's like shit like that. That's like it's so intentional. It's like, oh yeah, you can be sexy as a Hispanic, you know? It's like what? So I don't know, like shit like that. Not not to say that you know, like maybe he does have. Latino blood, but it was just, it was just frustrating to see that shit. And it's too often, like, especially, um, I, I know it was one time that, uh, it was a post of yours and <laughs> I, I made a comment on it and somebody was like, Oh, that's so cute. You're Asian obsessed. And I'm like, and Al, you actually spoke before I spoke on it. And it's just like, dude, do, you don't even know what my background is, who I am. And you're just going to assume just because I'm a darker complexion, my hair isn't 100% straight. It's like, I can't line with Asian issues or I can't line with, you know, Native American issues. It's like, unless I look like you, exactly mm. what Hollywood and media makes it looks like, I, I either have an obsession or someone that has a fetish for it. It's like, mm. dude, no. <laughs> it's like, if you... I, it was like if you actually look at Asia, you know, you're you're discounting the you know the Philippines, you're discounting India, you know, all these people are you know a darker complexion, and there's plenty of Japanese and Chinese people that are darker complexion, but it's just like you know, like you said, seeing people that are of the Asian culture or 
most of the time it's people outside of it. And it's just like, they're so quick to police other people. Mm. <laughs> and it's just like, no, no, no. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's just people revealing their own ignorance. You know, yeah. like people will tell you so much just, <laughs> just by what they say. Now, I also wanted to bring out, uh, I know your latest song, uh, The Chip. Uh, you mm, brought up, yes. I love the fact that you brought up about, you know, people coming to you about not getting out there because, you know, and you're uh, trying to stay safe because of COVID. <laughs> and then, of course, my favorite part of it is like, you know, you are Jet Lee with a pin uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything. But it's like you cover that, but then you also cover, it's like, you know, this chip of yours is not only a weakness, but a strength to you. Uh, sure. Can you go into about like what inspired you to write that song and how it really resonated with the current times? I'll try to. I think there's like three questions I need to answer, so I'll try to like hit every bullet point. But I think um, with with like the idea of the chip, like just with, like you said, it's a strength and a weakness. And I've always had friends tell me like, "Yo, Alan, you need to get rid of that chip on your shoulder. You get rid of the chip." And I'm just like, "Why? Why would I do that?" It's like you don't understand, like. I'm like the fucking Hulk. Like, I'm always angry, but I know how to control my anger. I know how to use it for, for good. Like, you don't, you don't have to police my anger. I'm like, bro, like, I'm good. I'm always, you know, passionate about shit. But, like, I don't have to get rid of this hunger for change and, and, and for, you know, wanting to make progress and shit, you know? So that, that hook was basically, like, saying, you know, like, no matter how famous or popular I get, I'm always going to have that hunger for, for what I want to do, you know, for my ambitions. And then um, to, to the second point about uh, people like shaming me for like not going outside and, and doing like public you know stuff. Um, so this was a really true story, and it's like it's funny because I hadn't I didn't know how to write that bar. So for a long time it was just just fuck you, and I was like I had I had to fill in around that fuck you. I was like all right, how do I make this like poetic? But it was like two instances of like um, people in Atlanta that like do film and stuff, right? And they would be like, hey, I got this new film equipment. I'm like, okay, great. I'll, I'll see you when it's safe. And they're just like shaming me about it. They're like, you know, this is the new normal. You know, you, you, need, to, you need to just, you know, grow up and get used to it. This is how it's always going to be. What? Have you fucking seen in history that there has been multiple pandemics and we have gone past? It's like, bro, I'm not, I'm not going to entertain your stupidity. So, so like when it happens over and over and over, I'm seeing a pattern of like this cognitive dissonance of people not understanding science of like how, you know, like, these kind of like diseases happen. This is not like, oh yeah, it's, it's always gonna be like that. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Then if that's the case, then we're all gonna die. It just it doesn't make sense. It just does not. So I had to write that bar. It was like it was like you know you you're playing basically like you're playing Russian roulette with a loaded clip because it's like if you're fucking around and like you know without a mask and just doing shit, you're going to catch it. Like it's just but don't drag me into that. So that's what yeah. I, was, I was saying. And so the reason I, I started talking about current events in that song because is. I released it in December purposely so that I can do like kind of like a wrap up. It's, it's like, this is what has happened this year. And this is why I'm pissed off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And then, uh, you know, it worked out. I think um, it was received pretty well. And I was able to make a cool meme out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I made fun of myself, I was happy about that. That was hilarious. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you did that one. <laughs> yeah. Because so you took your rap game to like, you really took it up a notch with with doing that particular song that you just let it, you just let it fly oh, with you. that one. I mean, it, it's the authenticity is, is always, you know, what makes something powerful is, you know, you're just being raw and speaking your truth. I mean, that's, 
It's what it is, like it or not. You know, like I, I think you mentioned it earlier in the podcast where you talked about, um, you know, if those folks don't like it, then they just weren't worth for me. You know, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the people I'm trying to reach. So, uh, yeah, like I'm sure I've lost followers throughout the pandemic, but that's like you know that's everyone because, like you said, everyone's yeah. true colors have been showing this year or or this past year, and um, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Well, Dana, do you have any more questions? Um, other than that, um, I just wanted to ask, um, Alan. What upcoming things can we expect from oh, yeah. you uh, in 2021? I mean, I, this past seven days probably gave you some new stuff to write about <laughs> in some songs. But what 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 future projects or um, songs or albums or anything that we can be looking forward to, um, or and and everything to continue growing with you? Um, I'm definitely working on like a few projects. Really hoping that, you know, this vaccine shit works out so that we can start, like, you know, doing gatherings and, and conventions and live shows so I can actually be able to promote myself, you know, outside of the internet. But as far as, like, the more, like, short term, um, I'm definitely doing, like, uh, planning to drop more singles. Like, I have a song that I'm working on with my friend Wise, who I did the, um, the Black and Asian Unity piece with. And um, I have I'm, I have some songs I'm doing with, um, like, other people like Ch- uh, Main, Jason, um, nice. and, and some solo stuff as well. Yeah. And, um... I'm just honestly, I'm just really hoping that like 2021 will be the year that we just finally can be safe outside. If you, you know, if you choose to take the, you know, the vaccine, so. exactly. Sounds good. Perfect. All right. And um, let us know, let everybody know how they can connect with you both on social media and um, with and on musical platforms. Yeah. So on social media, you guys can uh, check me out at Alan Z Music. That's A L A N Z Music. Um, and all my music is on uh, all platforms. So Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Tidal, Amazon, other esoteric ones that I, I don't really know about. Uh, but yeah, you can find that at um, Alan Z, which is A-L-A-N and then last initial Z. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for your time. We really appreciate you having here on the episode. Thanks to all of our listeners and viewers who tuned in for tonight's show. Be sure you guys check out Alan's music. I promise you will not be disappointed. And also definitely check out his TikTok. That channel is is hilarious and I really enjoy it. (laughs) Shout out to you. Thank you for all you do to represent um, and be a role model and a symbol for the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. Uh, We appreciate you. And we wish you all the best in 2021 and in the future. And if, you know, if the Mona Nui podcast can can help you along your journey, please feel free to reach out. Um, we're always looking forward to helping others, uh, you know, elevate um, their platform and grow together. Thank you. So with that said, uh, take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. Be safe, stay healthy, and keep jamming. Mm-hmm.